0: Morning church. Come live. live. So we've been in this series on amazing grace. What is so amazing about grace? And for several weeks now, we've been talking about the grace of God. Uh, Paul prays for the Ephesians and Ephesians chapter three says, I want you to sink your roots down deep into the love of God so that you understand its height, its depth, its breadth, its width. And grace is an aspect of God's love. So we've just been exploring that for several messages now. We're kinda to the point, uh, five or six messages in. I can't review each one, it would just take too long. But in today's message, as we talk about the conditions for receiving God's grace, it will be a review of sorts. Some of you will be able to relate to this. One of my uh, my granddaughters is almost four years old and she's at a time in her life where she likes to uh, surprise us with gifts. And so they live here, and we see her every day. So she'll come in in the morning with her hands behind her back. She's got something back there, and she'll say, Papa, I have something for you. I say, great, Cora, what is it? she said, oh, well, you have to sit down and close your eyes and, you know, hold out your hands. So I, I sit down, and I half close my eyes, and I hold out my hand. She says, Papa, are your eyes closed? Yes, okay, my eyes are closed. And then she plops whatever it is. I think on Friday it was a painted rock. It's always something different. Some wonderful gift. Well, if I don't sit down and close my eyes, I don't get the gift because the giver gets to dictate the conditions by which the gift is received. And she's a little dictator, let me tell you. So what does the word grace mean? It means gift. It is a gift that brings joy. And we're talking about God's gracious gift of salvation. Well, God has determined what are the conditions by which people receive this gift of salvation. And that's what we're going to review this morning. It will be a review for most of you. You're here, most of you, because you're Christian, 95% of us. This will be familiar territory, but that's okay. No problem uh, for a review today. Got an outline on the back of your bulletin. There are four conditions for receiving salvation, not five, not three, but four, starting with faith. Faith, of course. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Paul writes, for this reason, the promise is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace. So we are saved, Bible teaches we're saved by grace through faith. Faith is the means by which we receive God's salvation. Faith is particularly congruent with grace as a system or a means of salvation. Because it's a promise. Paul says, the promise. It, the promise, is by faith. So if if we're going to take advantage of a promise, we must, number one, know what the promise is, and number two, entrust ourselves to whoever's giving the promise and the promise itself. So there are two aspects to faith. One is assent, that we know what God is promising. He's promising to save us, to forgive us our sins, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, through the work of Jesus on the cross. The second part is entrusting ourselves to that. So assent and trust. You can, you can understand it. You can know something and not necessarily entrust yourself to that. There's uh, whole religions that believe that Jesus existed and maybe that he was someone special. Islam believes that there was an historical Jesus and that he was someone special, but not that he was the Son of God and they don't entrust themselves to him as the Savior. Same with Jehovah Witnesses, believe that Jesus existed and he was someone special, but not the Son of God and not the Savior. So there are two aspects To this. And the key word is depend or we or trust. That's a synonym for faith. Uh, You know, a few years ago, I used to read The Reader's Digest all the time. And they had a story, true story in the Reader's Digest, about a group of 21 uh, miners in Welcome, South Africa. This is 1983. They were descending down a mile-long shaft to do their work as miners, and 10 minutes into that descent, this uh, uh, elevator ground to a halt. And one of, the, one of the miners in there, his name was Mario Cockreel, a former boxer and Green berets, guy's in great shape. He left the elevator through the trap door. He shimmied down this galvanized steel water pipes about an, uh, uh, about an inch in circumference. And he shimmied all the way down about 50 yards to a ledge. And he stood on this ledge and apart from it was a side tunnel. And there was a five foot gap or chasm between where he was standing and the, the lip of that tunnel and so he leaped across that five feet to the other side he broke out an emergency call box that was over there broke the glass out called for help he broke his finger and his fist in the process he called for help and then from that vantage point he looked up he could see the elevator had twisted out of alignment and was resting on one corner on about one inch of metal and two flimsy screws the whole elevator with 20 miners up there and he thought to himself This is precarious. That elevator could go at any minute. And if it does, those guys are going to die. And he prayed, God, help me to help those miners. This guy's in great shape. So he leaps back to the other side and he shimmies back up that water pipe and goes up to the elevator, says to the guys in the elevator, guys, this elevator could go at any minute. We've all got to get out of here. They looked at him like he was crazy. There's no way we're going to do what you did. And so he grabbed the, the, the smallest miner, about 130 pounds. He looks at him and says, do you trust me? I will carry you down this pipe. Says, no way. He grabbed him by the front of his shirt and he held him out with one arm with his left hand He says, I can carry you. And the guy says, okay, I trust you. So he carried him down that pipe. When they got down to that lip, this, this little miner did not want to jump across. He was in no condition to do so. What Mario Conqueror did, believe it or not, he planked. Y'all, y'all know what planking is? I would show you, but I can't do it. But he fell forward over the chasm, grabbing the other side. It's a five-foot gap, grabbing the other side. And then he twisted around and rested his shoulders on the ledge, making himself a human girder or a human plank. And he said to the miner, come across on my body. And the miner said, there's no way that you can hold me. He said, trust me, come across on my body. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the first condition for receiving God's salvation, which is faith which means ascent and trust or dependence. And he said, trust me. And so that miner scurried across all on his body. And then he rolled back around, came back to the other side 19 more times. He ascended that pipe, carried a miner down, and became a human bridge to save those miners. By the time he was done, his arms were shaking from exhaustion and the the water pipe was was, uh, bloody from the blood on his hands. But he said, God, help me to save those minors. Now, I love that story. I think it's a beautiful illustration. Didn't Jesus do something just like that for us? When he went to the cross, he died in our place, and now he looks at each one of us and he says, there is a chasm separating you from God caused by our sin. I want to bridge that chasm. You come across on my body. You come across on my blood. You come across on my sacrifice. You come across on my cross. Trust me. So we are trusting in God's promise to save us in this way through the death of Jesus on that cross. Well, you knew that. The second condition is repentance. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. Jesus says, And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. So faith followed by repentance from sins. Why is repentance a condition of receiving God's gracious gift of salvation? Well, not only, what are we being saved from? We're being forgiven of our sin, but we're being saved from sin. It's like a person who, who falls into dirty, freezing water and they're drowning and someone extends to them their arm or a life preserver, that person cannot be saved from drowning and stay in the water at the same time. It's got to make a choice. Is it the water or is it salvation? And because we're being saved from sin, we have to make a choice. We cannot continue to love our sin, remembering what sin is. Anomia. We talked about this last week. The word in the original language, anomia. Anomia meaning law. A, the prefix meaning anti or against. It is an attitude or a spirit of lawlessness. It's a rebellion against God. So we repudiate that. We we get to the place where our attitude toward our own sin in particular, all sin in general, my sin in particular and yours, is one where I hate that sin. I feel the same way about it that God does. I may still struggle with it. may have temptation. I may succumb sometimes, but even still, I hate that sin. That's my attitude. Sometimes people wonder. They ask this question, Steve, you know, they make the statement, my God would never send anyone to hell. Or they say, a loving God. How could a loving God ever send anyone to hell? I understand that question and what's being asked there. It's not a bad question. But here's the flip side. Here's the flip side of that coin. A loving God. Why would a loving God force someone to be with Him in heaven who didn't want to be there? Would a loving God do that? Now, you may think, well, Steve, that's a ridiculous statement or question because everybody wants to go to heaven. Well, not, not, not necessarily. The demons, if I understand the origin of the demons, they're fallen angels. If they're fallen angels, they were in heaven at one point. They were with God. They rebelled against him. They didn't, they didn't like him and they got kicked out of heaven. Same with Satan. Would a loving God force the demons and Satan to be with him back in heaven if they didn't want to be, which they don't? Not, not all beings want to be in heaven. Now, there are people who understand everything I've talked about so far. They believe there is a God, they may even know the facts that Jesus lived maybe He died. Maybe they have not understand that He resurrected. Their problem with salvation and receiving the gift of grace is not ignorance. It's not that they don't know. It's that they're still in sin and they like it. They still love their sin. They don't hate their sin. They say, all right, I understand who God is and I understand what He is. But in the here and now, they do not love God. What they know of God, they don't like that. They don't want to be with the people of God. They don't enjoy worshiping God. They don't want anything to do with that. And that's not going to change just because they die. Why would a loving God force someone to be in heaven who doesn't want to be there? That's why this is absolutely a condition of receiving God's grace of salvation. We are being saved from our sin. We must come to the point where we repudiate that sin. If I understand, what makes heaven heaven? Is it the streets of gold? Is it the bucolic atmosphere? Is it the no sickness, no pain, no death? Everybody's nice? Well, yeah, that's part of what heaven is, but those are all ancillary benefits. What really makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Everybody's nice because God's there. There's no sickness and pain because he's the source of life, and he's the source of love. So he's the source of all. It's people who want to be in the presence of heaven, And as I understand it, if I understand heaven, there won't be any sin there, which means we will no longer be capable of sin. God's just going to take that away from us. He's going to deliver us from sin. Well, how can he do that without violating our free will? He can't, and he won't. The fact of the matter is, everybody who winds up in heaven in the here and now, in this life, at some point, has told God, I don't want to be a sinner. I struggle with this sin. I don't want to struggle with sin anymore. I don't want to even be capable of sin. It's going to take that away from us. It's a deliverance from sin when we get to heaven. So, repentance is a condition of salvation because we simply must choose. You can't have both. It's an attitude of hatred towards sin. Faith, repentance, condition number three, confession. Confession, Romans chapter 10, verse 10. Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Confession is a condition of salvation. Now, what's happening here in this confession. This context of this passage is very interesting. Three verses later, I should have put this on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can look it up. Just three verses later, Paul connects this confession with Joel chapter 2, verse 13, where Joel writes, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Usually we make this confession at our baptism. A person is about to be baptized. You say, do you believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. Or the shorter version, Jesus is Lord. Yes. What they're doing at that moment in time is calling on the name of the Lord to save them at the time of their baptism to apply the benefits of God's grace, the double cure for sin. Calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? all right, we know Lord means boss or master or king or ruler, so we're saying He's our Lord. We're also saying that we're acknowledging that He's the divine Son of God. So you know what the Septuagint is? Sept, prefix meaning seven. seven. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In the first century, it had 70 Jewish scholars translated the old Hebrew scriptures into Greek. So the Old Testament name for God is Yahweh. Depending on what consonants and vowels you use. Some people call it Jehovah, Yahweh. Same thing. When those scholars translated the name Yahweh from Hebrew into Greek, the word that they chose every time was kurios, Lord. So the name of God from the Old Testament is translated Lord in the Greek language. When Jesus' disciples called him Lord, when Paul writes, the good confession is Jesus is Lord. And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Lord. They were acknowledging the divinity of Jesus, that he is not just a man, he is God, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. It's God who is saving us by dying on the cross. Why is this important? For a couple of reasons. Uh, grace, salvation is accomplished by a substitute on the cross. We know this. Jesus is taking our place. He's taking our punishment. The only way that works is if the substitute is divine. That's the only way that works, and here's why. Let's say I decide that I want to be a a substitute for someone else. Abby here, either one. We've got two Abbeys up here. two Abbeys on the front row. So the Abbeys. No, I'll just pick one. Abby, (laughs) Whichever one, it's up to you. Uh, I'm going to die for Abby on the cross, so she won't have to spend eternity in hell. All right, that's not going to work for two reasons. Number one, let's say I die on the cross, spend six hours suffering on the cross, and then I die. I can't die for her because I have my own sin. So any death that I die is for my sin. I don't have an extra death to give to her. So whoever the substitute is had to be a sinless substitute. So they're not dying for their own sin. They could die for someone else's sin, right? That means to do that, you have to be divine. Number two, the second reason, let's say I suffer for six hours on the cross and then I die. That is not equivalent to a person's eternal suffering and death in hell. That is a finite period of time, six hours. It does not equate to an eternity of suffering. They don't match. They don't equal. But if the substitute is divine, Jesus, the second person of the Godhood, who was and is and is to come, an infinite eternal being suffering for a finite period of time is equal to a finite being suffering for an eternal period of time. Jesus is Lord. He had to be. It's the only way the grace system of salvation works. We're calling on the name of the Lord in that confession. And then finally, we said faith, repentance, confession. Condition number four, baptism. Now look at this passage in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul writes, Having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which, that means in that baptism, you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God, Who raised Christ from the dead. When you were dead, in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Christ. When? When you were baptized. Having forgiven us all of our transgressions. The fourth condition is baptism. Baptism is an immersion in water of someone who's old enough to have their own faith, their own repentance, and to confess Jesus as Lord, call on the name of the Lord. It's an immersion in water, resurrection up out of the water. It is a particularly appropriate condition in that it is congruent with all of this grace nature of salvation. Jesus died for us. We close our eyes. We died. We're buried with Christ. And we're resurrected with Christ out of the watery grave. It's all pictured there in a baptism. Baptism is the occasion of salvation, meaning it is the time of our salvation. Yes, we believe. You're not saved as soon as you believe. We repent. We are not saved as soon as we repent. We confess Jesus as Lord. We're not saved as soon as at that time. That is the occasion of our salvation when God applies the double cure for sin. We talked about last week. Sin makes us guilty. Sin makes us sick. God applies the double cure for sin through grace. He forgives our sin and he heals us of our sin sickness and gives us a new heart. The occasion of that is at our baptism. Let me illustrate this. Let's use uh, light from a lamp as an illustration. Light that comes from a lamp has a source, it has a means, and it has an occasion. Now, the source is the electric current. The means to access that electric current is the cord and the plug. But we still don't have light. Okay, we have source, we have means, the occasion of the light from the lamp, is when you flip that switch and the light comes on. Source means occasion. Likewise, in God's conditions of salvation, you have the source, which is God's grace. You have the means, which is faith. We're saved by grace through faith at baptism. That's the occasion or the time of salvation. Now, so one final analogy here to illustrate all of these conditions. No analogy is perfect, but uh, this one, Illustrates these conditions. This is my uh, doctor smock. Doctor Jones is back in the house. So let's say you meet with me, your doctor, and I say, "Look, I got bad news for you. You've got a bad heart, terrible heart. In fact, your heart's so bad you need a transplant." And in this case, it's not genetics; it's your own fault. It's your lazy lifestyle and your bad eating habits. All right, so you got a sedentary lifestyle, bad eating habits, and uh, I can save you. I'm I'm the best heart surgeon in the country come to the right guy. Do you believe I can save you? Do you believe it? Yes, right. Do you believe I want to save you through heart surgery? Yes, you do. Okay, so we need to put you on the list, but I'm not going to put you on the list until or unless you repudiate your sedentary lifestyle and your terrible eating habits. So you say, okay, I repudiate that lifestyle. I, it's just brought me nothing but heartache and trouble. I'm sick. I'm dying. I hate that lifestyle. That's sedentary. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat right. I say, great. Good enough. I'm going to put you on the list for a donor heart. That very afternoon, I give you a call. I say, look, we got a donor heart. Meet me up there at the operating room at five o'clock sharp. So you drive up to the hospital. You get prepped. You go into the OR. I'm, I'm there waiting for you in the OR as is the anesthesiologist. The anesthesiologist hooks you up, put the mask over your face, starts administering the anesthesia, says, breathe deeply, count backwards from 10. So you start counting 9. you don't even get to eight, and you're out. You're under the anesthesia. And while you're under, I go to work. Now, it seems like you just closed your eyes when you're opening them again, and you're in the recovery room. There's your family there, and I walk in. Congratulations! The surgery was a success. You're going to live. and You got a brand new heart, heart of a 25-year-old athlete. Oh, that's wonderful, you say. Who's the donor? Can I know that? I I really would like to know. And I swallow hard and with a tear in my eye, say, yeah, as a matter of fact, the donor was my own son. He was a firefighter, gave his, spent his whole life trying to save people, died in a tragic accident, and now you have his heart. And as a result, you'll always have a special place in my heart. Okay, so that's, that's the analogy. Now, what do we have in this analogy? We have the four conditions. First of all, there's faith, trust. You believe that I, you're a doctor, can perform the surgery, that I want to, that I'm willing to. Faith and trust. Number two, repentance. You repudiate that lifestyle, sedentary lifestyle, bad eating habits. You hate that. You're going to change that. That's repentance. You've made the confession. You, you told me, yeah, we believe in you. You made the public confession. And then... The appointment in the operating room is the occasion where that salvation takes place. Just as you went under the anesthesia, you're passive, you're even unconscious. When the surgeon does his work and gives you a new heart and saves your life, you go under the water of baptism. And that's when your sin is washed away. Ananias said to Saul, rise and be baptized. Washing away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord not the water that washes away the sin it's the blood of christ that's being applied by god to you at that time and at that moment in time not only is your sin being forgiven that's one part of the double cure but at the same time god is regenerating your heart and giving you a new heart so now you got a heart for god and it begins that whole process of sanctification that all happens at that occasion in that moment in time Well, let me finish up here by telling you the strange case of the United States versus Wilson. In 1833, George Wilson and a companion robbed the United States mail, caught, convicted, and sentenced to death. They took their mail very seriously back then. And uh, the guy who, who, his companion was hanged. But George Wilson had a friend who was a mutual friend of President Andrew Jackson. And he petitioned the president for a pardon. Andrew Jackson pardoned George Wilson. And George Wilson refused the pardon. And so now they had a legal question. Okay, is he pardoned or not? And this question went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled in the United States versus Wilson that a pardon is a gift. And if it is not received, then it is not in effect. And so the sentence was carried out. God in His grace has done everything He can to save us. He does not want for anybody to suffer eternal death. He does not want for anyone to go to hell. He Himself has taken His own punishment upon Him in the form of the third person of the Godhead, Jesus, the Son of God. But it's up to us. To receive his pardon if we don't receive it then we have not been pardoned and god gets to determine what are the conditions of receiving his pardon and they are faith repentance confession and baptism like i said it's a review most of you are christians and you've done this but if there were anyone here today who's not taking one of those steps let me know we can remedy that today had somebody come up to me after the first service and need to be baptized He's going to be baptized at two o'clock this afternoon at a swim pool tom divels Hey, get in on that if you want to. And if that's not convenient, then we'll coordinate our schedules, and we'll schedule that as soon as possible. Amen? Our Father in heaven, we thank you today, God, not only for your gracious gift of salvation, the double cure of salvation, uh, Jesus' death on the cross that makes it possible for us because none of us were going to earn it, none of us were ever going to be good enough, and we've abandoned that altogether. We not only thank you for your grace, We thank you for the gracious gracious conditions. All All that we have to do is believe you, trust in you, and your promise is to repent, turn away from that sin, confess Jesus is Lord, and be baptized into Christ. We pray, God, if you're tugging at anyone's heart today, they won't let any of these conditions go unmet another day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.